Welcome, everybody. Time for another episode of Alive, brought to you by the Asher Longevity Institute, committed to the science-based and easy-to-implement lifestyle changes you need in order to live a much longer and much healthier life. This show is made possible through the generous support of People Unlimited, a premier longevity company in Phoenix, Arizona. Learn more about People Unlimited and their partner longevity experts in the Coalition for Radical Life Extension at rlecoalition.com. That's rlecoalition.com. I'm Dave Potts in the Asher Longevity Institute studio in Washington, D.C., together with the host of Alive, John Asher, CEO and co-founder of the Asher Longevity Institute. John's guest is Dr. Abed Hussein a fellow of the American College of Cardiologists and certified by the American Board of Anti-Aging Regenerative Medicine. Dr. Hussein is a physician at the Boone Heart Institute in Greenwood Village, Colorado, along with Dr. Jeffrey Boone, the Chief Medical Officer of the Asher Longevity Institute. The title of the show is The Myths and Facts Behind Testosterone Replacement. Over to you, John. Thank you, Dr. Hussain, for coming on again. Your last show was uh, about peptides. It's very impressive and, and got a great response. Well, well, thank you. Thank you. I'm glad it was uh, well-received, and hopefully people learned a thing or two about peptides. Well, I did, and I got your prescriptions for the three with the medication, so I'm just about to start. So thanks so much. You're very welcome. Yeah, you'll have to keep me updated. Thank you. So just to give the viewers the big picture, and since we're going from peptides to hormones, what is the difference between a peptide and a hormone? Really, a hormone is made of the same building blocks as a peptide. Hormones are amino acid sequences, but there are much bigger amino acid sequences in length. They're more complex. They have folded over on top of each other in different ways, as well as being much longer. So it's essentially a, a longer version of a peptide. Okay, got it. And so what's the difference in the use of our, in our bodies? Well, the hormones, they will, just like peptides, they are messaging molecules. And it's just that these are the ones that have identified earlier on in history, mostly because they are larger molecules. They showed up in the beginning of a lot of our, the research in, in human physiology. So they're the ones that have been easily identified early on and then studied more extensively as we've uh, gone through the years. So they accomplish the same sorts of things. And they may act more on an organ-to-organ basis than peptides, which, because of their small molecular size, can work on a cellular level a little bit more effectively. Oh, I see. So hormones can work uh, really better at the cellular level than peptides. Uh, No, other way around. Oh, peptides, okay. Yeah. Got it. Can you actually measure peptides? No, there's no real good way to measure peptides because their lifespan is so short. That's part of the nature of being a small molecule. They get broken down more quickly. Uh, As things get larger and and become more folded, uh, as the sequences become larger and more folded and more complex, that provides a protective mechanism to keep those larger molecules from being broken down enzymatically. So then they can be measured a little bit more readily in the bloodstream. And, and then they have a lot longer lifespan. They have more stability to them. I do know that you can obviously measure hormones in the bloodstream because mm-hmm. the subject of the podcast today is all about testosterone. And I've been mm-hmm. on topical testosterone now for at least 10 years. 
Mm -hmm. I'm actually getting my check level of testosterone free and total and, mm -hmm. and also um, estradiol as well once a quarter just to make sure I'm staying in balance. That's good. That's advisable. Yes. Thank you. So give the uh, audience the big picture on why testosterone has become such a big deal, perhaps maybe some of the studies behind it. And I mean, we've all heard of, all males have heard about testosterone with, with respect to muscles, but mm -hmm. there's a lot more to it than that. Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, the history of testosterone is curious. I mean, it's gone back to the turn of the century of 1900s uh, when doctors were implanting monkey testicles into men, thinking that that was going to make them more virile and make them live longer. So it's been part of our imagination for hundreds of years. As we've refined what it can do and the understanding of it, it didn't really start happening until testosterone was being abused, really. The research studies have been out there, and for more than 70 years, there's been positive research studies on testosterone. There was a blip in the radar in, I think it was about 15 years ago, where two really poorly designed studies came out with uh, claims that there were worse cardiovascular outcomes. And both of those studies have been debunked as well as retracted by their authors, yet uh, they didn't get any media attention like the studies did originally when they first came out. So the use of testosterone is very safe, but we know that when it is uh, abused, like it was with bodybuilders, that's when the side effects happen. So, you know, the side effects that we look for are going to be what we know as roid rage, you know, being emotionally labile, oily skin, acne, blood clots from elevated, from having the blood becoming too thick and elevated hemoglobin and hematocrit, but not necessarily promoting blood clotting. Uh, it's just that the, there's too thick of blood content. So there are decades of studies showing that it's helpful and safe. The other thing we see is um, elevations in the PSA level. And that's why prostate-specific antigen, the PSA, is always checked when you're on testosterone therapy because we want to make sure that uh, it's not growing. Testosterone is known or to promote growth of prostate tissue. And if you have a history of of uh, benign prosthetic hypertrophy, then it's something that needs to be monitored, but it does not pro cause prostate cancer. There's not a single study to show that it causes prostate cancer. That's why you measure the PSA? Yes. So when you said it was abused mm -hmm. in the 90s, when um, Mark McGuire hit 70 home mm -hmm. runs and Sammy says 66, and then the That's next right. year, Barry Bonds bulks up and hits mm -hmm. 73, I think it was. Yeah. And then everybody got, they all got in trouble with taking various stimulants and drugs. Sure. Was testosterone one of those? I think it might have been. I don't remember specifically their case, but when, you know, when we're talking about uh, performance enhancement and increasing muscle mass and lean muscle mass, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is testosterone. And that's because it's so effective at doing it. Yeah, there's two components to testosterone there's the anabolic component and then the, uh, androgenic component. The anabolic component is the component that works on our muscle mass, our athleticism, and uh, the androgenic being similar to androgen works on the sex hormone part of it. So that's usually the libido, the um, male sex characteristics, or the, you know, just the male or female sex characteristics because testosterone is very important for women too. 
it's it's levels are about 10 times lower but they are it is a very important hormone for women so i remember seeing a bottle um when when they first got in trouble i think it was jose canseco was the first ball player to get in trouble and that was called it was, it was a bunch of pills i think it was called an anabolic steroid that's yeah. right anabolic steroid mm -hmm. yeah so that's what they were taking and yes in pill form mm-hmm yeah, and, and taking it in pill form is challenging because uh, it gets metabolized by the liver first and then broken down. And, and that's where we found that it's, uh, it loses some of its efficacy as well as becoming very, it becomes difficult for the liver to metabolize. So when people, so anybody that's, that's replacing bioidentical hormones, if they're giving testosterone in a pill form, then it's unadvisable to be uh, taking that. Now, that's not to be con confused with a trochee or something sublingual. There are some, uh, a lot of practitioners that like to use a sublingual delivery mechanism. And when you take something sublingually, uh, it bypasses the liver. It goes directly into the bloodstream, but a lot of it does get dissolved and can be swallowed inadvertently. Got it. What is the best way to deliver? I know there's a number of ways to deliver it. Mm -hmm. It really depends on your preference. There's we can start from the most basic way, which is a topical cream, and that's done on a daily, daily application. <clears throat> it's usually applied to an area of skin that's very thin and highly absorbent. So uh, the two most common areas are going to be in the underarm areas or the scrotum, and those are going to be those absorb really well, and typically after a shower or something that opens up the pores. Um, it's done once a day, mostly because the, uh, the delivery is uh, not as, as robust across the skin as it would be uh, in other mechanisms like injection. So we do it once a day at a medium range dose, assuming that a lot of it will get, it, get past the skin, but not all of it does get absorbed oftentimes. So um, there's a little bit of variability in, in uh, the skin absorption. And that's something that patients don't really feel as much of, a, of an issue with it. I think the, the downsides to it are that uh, it's a cream, it's a daily application. And then there's the risk of transference uh, where if you do have it lingering on your clothes or uh, whatever clothes are touching it, they should be handled by one person and they should be washed separately from other clothes because you don't want to transfer testosterone onto somebody else's clothing and then by mistake, uh, have them absorb it. Well, you know, when I first started taking it uh, 10 years ago, um, I've been topical the whole way. Mm -hmm. This was from a drug company. It was very expensive, like, I don't know, $350 a month. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure the instructions were to put it on your shoulders. Mm -hmm. Is that a reasonable yeah. place too? Um, I mean, I guess so. Not the first place that I would recommend putting it on, um, but it, you know that could be the if it's a gel versus a cream. The shoulders aren't particularly don't have particularly absorbent skin, and that may have just been an earlier thinking to apply it anywhere. I recommend the the scrotum because that also it keeps it in your underwear, keeps it localized, and makes it much easier to manage the transference. John, it's time for a quick commercial break. The Asher Longevity Institute developed a nine-step program to guide you to a much longer and much healthier life. Our mission is to make this system easy to understand, simple to execute, and sustainable for the rest of your life. 
Go to AsherLongevity.com today and sign up for the information and access you need to live the longevity lifestyle. That's AsherLongevity.com to help you feel better now and achieve the longevity you desire. Now back to John and Dr. Hussein. So thank you for that insight on yeah, exactly it's... where to apply it. Mm-hmm. Uh, very interesting because I was yeah. like I've been applying it to the wrong area all these years. <laughs> it's possible. I don't know if, it's, if there's any wrong area because it's all in your body. It's just optimal. One of the reasons that creams are also useful is because it's the closest way to mimic our natural physiology. And ah. our natural physiology has two uh, peaks of testosterone that occur daily. The first is when you when you wake up in the morning around you know, 7 to 9 a.m. And then the other one is going to be in the afternoon, in the early afternoon. So using a topical cream uh, is our best chance, that, that's once a day, is the best chance of mimicking that. You know, you could use an extremely short-acting testosterone that would only last for like less than an hour and apply that twice a day. So that's a possibility. Moving on from the cream, uh, the next one would be a, an injection. Or actually, you know, not just creams, there's also patches which you can apply onto your arm that have a similar mechanism as the cream. Uh, same, same concept, really. The next one would be injectables. And injectables are usually intramuscular injections. You can do them subcutaneously if they're smaller than half a milliliter, but usually the dosing ranges from half to one milliliters. And so that can become a little uncomfortable underneath the skin. So that's why it's recommended to be uh, intramuscular. But the absorption is no different between the, the muscle and subcutaneous. And the testosterone injection is most often cipionate, and that has a four-day lifespan to it. It's suspended in oil, so it's a very viscous material, and you're injecting this oil in, underneath the skin or into the muscle, and it'll be absorbed slowly, peaks within the first day, and then... Uh, reaches its, its nadir or the lower end of its range at about four days before you want to give it another shot. A lot of places are doing twice a week injections, which would match that. There are some places that are still doing once a week injections where then you would feel that drop off towards the end of the week, maybe lower energy, things like that. Yeah, the injection's pretty clean. You don't have to worry about transference. and But then you just have to deal with the needle every four days and self-injecting as well as sort of the disposal and stuff. Right. So now I've also, for the past probably five years, been getting it from a compounding pharmacy, mm -hmm. which is so much less expensive than getting it from the drug companies. Yes. So I'm not too sure what the difference is. Let's see, 125 for <laughs> So it's about $40 a month instead of $350 a month for the drug companies. Sure. So it's a sure. huge, huge difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, mm -hmm. and there are many of them available, as, as you know. Yeah. The last formulation is pellets, which are also real popular. Pellets are, uh, are little capsules of the testosterone suspended in oil that are placed intra-office procedure. They're placed subcutaneously, usually into some sort of a fat pad. And those are done anywhere from every three to six months. And that is a depot shot, like a large deposit of testosterone. And this, the companies claim that it, uh, it's, they have a, a design for it to be released in a slow release form and, and nice and steady. But I've yet to see that really be the case. Most patients have an extreme high that they feel for a little while, and then it peters off until they have to get a replacement. And that can be very challenging because there's a, the, the swings that go along with that. There's some side effects. 
And then once you implant those, there's no way of taking it out. You're stuck with it for six months. And then the final thing is it doesn't match your physiology nearly as close as any of the other options. So, you know, there's no side effects there or our long-term um, adverse effects that have, been, that have been seen in studies, but at the same time, pellets are a fairly new utilization. Another question about this, I'm sure our listeners, some of them will want to know, what are the you know like top three or top five reasons for me to take it? What's going to be the benefit? Uh, the most common reasons, well, there's the, the obvious reasons are one you know as we get older we're going to lose energy, libido, exercise capacity, lean muscle mass, functionality. Those those by themselves are enough reasons. But there's also anxiety, depression, which is which with testosterone is very effective in men in relieving. There's the metabolic benefits of testosterone. If we look at muscle, it, it's potentially our largest organ and our most impactful metabolic organ. So if we make our muscles more efficient at burning glucose and utilizing our fat stores more efficiently, which is what happens with the use of testosterone then we can, we can use it as a preventative measure against diabetes. We can use it as a preventative measure against uh, the inflammation that's caused by diabetes. And then we know uh, that the recent studies from the physiology of testosterone, we've realized that it itself has anti-inflammatory uh, properties. It has properties to reduce the stickiness of cholesterol to the endothelium, the lining of the arteries. We know that it actually keeps the lining of the arteries more healthy. So, and it, and it keeps them more able to use a hormone called nitric oxide, which is um, more, it means it stays more flexible. It can stretch and contract as it needs to. So there's a a lot of physiologic necessary benefits that come with testosterone that are lost when we just let it, when we assume it, uh, it's part of natural aging to have a low testosterone. At what age should men start to take it? Is there any kind of general number like middle age or? Most men now are getting checked in their middle ages and, and starting it in their middle ages. There's no time that's too late and there's no time that's too early if your labs and symptoms dictate it. To qualify for testosterone therapy through insurance companies, you need to have two readings of a total or free testosterone level below normal and or symptoms consistent with uh, testosterone dysfunction. Insurance companies are very resistant to filling testosterone prescriptions because it's a uh, it costs a lot for them, and then it, it'll also add up when a lot of uh, young men decide that they that, or qualify for therapy and they start submitting requests for it. They're going to have to, insurance companies have to pay out for it. So speaking of that, for your patients, where do you like to see uh, both total and free testosterone for men? The total is a fairly universal measurement, but it's not the best measurement. It, it gives us an overall idea of where their testosterone is. I like to see their total testosterone above 750 and up to you know 1100. But the problem is that total testosterone is a combination of the free testosterone, which is floating in our blood unbound to anything. And then it's also a combination of uh, free plus the bound testosterone. And, and testosterone is bound up by different proteins. One of them is called sex hormone binding globulin. And when that's elevated, it binds up a lot of testosterone and makes the bound testosterone ineffective. 
essentially uh, unusable. So we could have a high total testosterone, but if your free testosterone is not measured, you're not really measuring or, under, or seeing the actual amount that your body's using. So the free ends up being a more, a more useful measurement. And that can range depending on the, uh, the lab test, anywhere from upper range of normal to 25 to 125. So that one is a little bit more subject to the reference ranges of what lab you're using. What would you like to see your patients for free? Uh, with free, it's usually around 20 um, with one lab measurements. And then if it's, I think it's, uh, okay, it's a lab core that has the high range of normal around 125. So I shoot for about 80 because their, their measurement assay is a little bit different. And then Quest shoots for a high range of around 25. And in that case, it's about 20. So for the Quest measurements, say 20 to 25. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so th- those are the ranges we shoot for. And then I'll also check your estradiol level, your, as I said, the sex hormone binding globulin. And, and estradiol for men is important, intimate related testosterone, and as, because the testosterone gets converted to estradiol. But it's uh, having a high estradiol is not a problem if there's no symptoms. If you're not having any gynecomastia or breast tenderness or, or labile emotions, you know, moodiness, that having a high estrogen is not a big deal because estrogen is important for cholesterol management. It helps our blood vessels manage the cholesterol in the right way. It also helps our brain function. Inhibiting your estradiol unnecessarily isn't necessarily a good idea. That's what happens in a lot of the tea centers around the country where you just they, they, everybody gets the same sort of protocol or cookie cutter approach and everyone gets put on an estrogen blocker oftentimes unnecessarily. Where would you like to see it? What range? Uh, well, the, the range is, it, it depends on the testosterone range because it's, it, it, you would want to have it balanced with the testosterone. So, you know, it, it varies per person really. And it also depends on their, t- their tolerance. So it's, it's more of an individualized assessment when it comes to estradiol because it depends on the, the level of the testosterone also. John, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. Just get into it. Yeah, Dr. Hussain, thanks so much for coming on. Our next scheduled podcast, we'll talk about the um, hormone replacements that are important for women. Sure. Mm -hmm. And you you mentioned that testosterone was important for women, but just at a much uh, lower dose. So Mm -hmm. we'll look forward to discussing that the next time. So if you could leave the listeners with one or two major thoughts. And of course, let them know how they can get a hold of you. I think it's important to remember that overall health uh, and and, uh, testosterone is connected. There's studies that show that low testosterone increases your chance of mortality independent of anything else. It should be thought of as not a supplemental hormone as we get older, but it should be thought of as a necessary hormone to maintain our vitality and functionality. And uh, that's how we treat it at the Boone Heart Institute, especially because it's integral in cardiovascular health. You can find me at the Boone Heart Institute. Um, either call the office here at it's 303-760-0710 or email at uh, md at booneheart.com. All right, terrific. Thanks so much. Look forward to the next one. Thank you very much for having me.
And thank you both. And for everyone, be sure to visit us at AsherLongevity.com to learn more about the science, supplements, and strategies to live a much longer and much happier life. That's AsherLongevity.com. From now until we meet again, John Asher reminds us that looking after our health today gives us better hope for tomorrow. This concludes another edition of Alive right here on the Funnel Radio Network for listeners like you. Longevity Institute developed a nine-step program to guide you to a much longer and healthier life. Our mission is to make this system easy to understand, simple to execute, and sustainable for the rest of your life. Go to asherlongevity.com today and sign up for the information and access you need to live the longevity lifestyle. That's asherlongevity.com to help you feel better now and achieve the longevity you desire.